Chapter One of My Life: The Story of a Provincial by Anton Chekhov, translated by Constance Garnett, eighteen sixty one to nineteen forty six. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter One. The superintendent said to me, "I only keep you out of regard for your worthy father, but for that you would have been sent flying long ago." i replied to him you flatter me too much your excellency in assuming that i am capable of flying and then i heard him say take that gentleman away he gets upon my nerves two days later i was dismissed and in this way i have during the years i have been regarded as grown up lost nine situations to the great mortification of my father the architect of our town i have served in various departments but all these nine jobs have been as alike as one drop of water is to another i had to sit write listen to rude or stupid observations and go on doing so till i was dismissed when i came in to my father he was sitting buried in a low armchair with his eyes closed his dry emaciated face with a shade of dark blue where it was shaved he looked like an old catholic organist expressed meekness and resignation without responding to my greeting or opening his eyes he said if my dear wife and your mother were living your life would have been a source of continual distress to her i see the divine providence in her premature death i beg you unhappy boy he continued opening his eyes tell me what am i to do with you in the past when i was younger my friends and relations had known what to do with me some of them used to advise me to volunteer for the army others to get a job in a pharmacy and others in the telegraph department now that i am over twenty-five that grey hairs are beginning to show on my temples and that i have been already in the army and in a pharmacy and in the telegraph department it would seem that all earthly possibilities have been exhausted and people have given up advising me and merely sigh or shake their heads what do you think about yourself my father went on by the time they are your age young men have a secure social position well look at you you are a proletarian a beggar a burden on your father and as usual he proceeded to declare that the young people of to-day were on the road to perdition through infidelity materialism and self-conceit and that amateur theatricals ought to be prohibited because they seduced young people from religion and their duties to-morrow we shall go together and you shall apologize to the superintendent and promise him to work conscientiously he said in conclusion you ought not to remain one single day with no regular position in society i beg you to listen to me i said sullenly expecting nothing good from this conversation what you call a position in society is the privilege of capital and education those who have neither wealth nor education earn their daily bread by manual labor and i see no grounds for my being an exception when you begin talking about manual labor it is always stupid and vulgar said my father with irritation understand you dense fellow understand you addlepate that besides coarse physical strength you have the divine spirit a spark of the holy fire which distinguishes you in the most striking way from the ass or the reptile and brings you nearer to the deity this fire is the fruit of the efforts of the best of mankind during thousands of years your great-grandfather polozneff the general fought at borodino 
your grandfather was a poet an orator and a marshal of nobility your uncle is a schoolmaster and lastly i your father am an architect all the poloznevs have guarded the sacred fire for you to put it out one must be just i said millions of people put up with manual labour and let them put up with it they don't know how to do anything else anybody even the most abject fool or criminal is capable of manual labour such labour is the distinguishing mark of the slave and the barbarian while the holy fire is vouchsafed only to a few to continue this conversation was unprofitable my father worshipped himself and nothing was convincing to him but what he said himself besides i knew perfectly well that the disdain with which he talked of physical toil was founded not so much on reverence for the sacred fire as on a secret dread that i should become a workman and should set the whole town talking about me what was worse all my contemporaries had long ago taken their degrees and were getting on well and the son of the manager of the state bank was already a collegiate assessor while i his only son was nothing to continue the conversation was unprofitable and unpleasant but i still sat on and feebly retorted hoping that i might at last be understood the whole question of course was clear and simple and only concerned with the means of my earning my living but the simplicity of it was not seen and i was talked to in mawkishly rounded phrases of borodino of the sacred fire of my uncle a forgotten poet who had once written poor and artificial verses i was rudely called an adopate and a dense fellow and how i longed to be understood in spite of everything i loved my father and my sister and it had been my habit from childhood to consult them a habit so deeply rooted that i doubt whether i could ever have got rid of it whether i were in the right or the wrong i was in constant dread of wounding them constantly afraid that my father's thin neck would turn crimson and that he would have a stroke to sit in a stuffy room i began to copy to compete with a typewriter is shameful and humiliating for a man of my age what can the sacred fire have to do with it it's intellectual work anyway said my father but that's enough let us cut short this conversation and in any case i warn you if you don't go back to your work again but follow your contemptible propensities then my daughter and i will banish you from our hearts i shall strike you out of my will i swear by the living god with perfect sincerity to prove the purity of the motives by which i wanted to be guided in all my doings i said the question of inheritance does not seem very important to me i shall renounce it all beforehand for some reason or other quite to my surprise these words were deeply resented by my father he turned crimson don't dare to talk to me like that stupid he shouted in a thin shrill voice wastrel and with a rapid skilful and habitual movement he slapped me twice in the face you are forgetting yourself when my father beat me as a child i had to stand up straight with my hands held stiffly to my trouser seams and look him straight in the face and now when he hit me i was utterly overwhelmed and as though i were still a child drew myself up and tried to look him in the face my father was old and very thin but his delicate muscles must have been as strong as leather for his blows hurt a good deal i staggered back into the passage and there he snatched up his umbrella and with it hit me several times on the head and shoulders 
at that moment my sister opened the drawing-room door to find out what the noise was but at once turned away with a look of horror and pity without uttering a word in my defence my determination not to return to the government office but to begin a new life of toil was not to be shaken all that was left for me to do was to fix upon the special employment and there was no particular difficulty about that as it seemed to me that i was very strong and fitted for the very heaviest labour i was faced with a monotonous life of toil in the midst of hunger coarseness and stench continually preoccupied with earning my daily bread and who knows as i returned from my work along great dvoryansky street i might very likely enjoy dolzhikov the engineer who lived by intellectual work but at the moment thinking over all my future hardships made me light-hearted at times i had dreamed of spiritual activity imagining myself a teacher a doctor or a writer but these dreams remained dreams the taste for intellectual pleasures for the theatre for instance and for writing was a passion with me but whether i had any ability for intellectual work i don't know at school i had had an unconquerable aversion for greek so that i was only in the fourth class when they had to take me from school for a long while i had coaches preparing me for the fifth class then i served in various government offices spending the greater part of the day in complete idleness and i was told that was intellectual work my activity in the scholastic and official sphere had required neither mental application nor talent nor special qualifications nor creative impulse it was mechanical such intellectual work i put on a lower level than physical toil i despise it and i don't think that for one moment it could serve as a justification for an idle careless life as it is indeed nothing but a sham one of the forms of that same idleness real intellectual work i have in all probability never known evening came on we lived in great dvoryansky street it was the principal street in the town and in the absence of decent public gardens our beaumont used to use it as a promenade in the evenings this charming street did to some extent take the place of a public garden as on each side of it there was a row of poplars which smelt sweet particularly after rain and acacias tall bushes of lilac wild cherries and apple trees hung over the fences and palings the may twilight the tender young greenery with its shifting shades the scent of the lilac the buzzing of the insects the stillness the warmth how fresh and marvellous it all is though spring is repeated every year i stood at the garden gate and watched the passers-by with most of them i had grown up and at one time played pranks now they might have been disconcerted by my being near them for i was poorly and unfashionably dressed and they used to say of my very narrow trousers and huge clumsy boots that they were like sticks of macaroni stuck in boats besides i had a bad reputation in the town because i had no decent social position and used often to play billiards in cheap taverns and also perhaps because i had on two occasions been hauled up before an officer of the police though i had done nothing whatever to account for this in the big house opposite someone was playing the piano at dolzhikov's it was beginning to get dark and stars were twinkling in the sky here my father in an old top hat with wide upturned brim walked slowly by with my sister on his arm bowing in response to greetings 
look up he said to my sister pointing to the sky with the same umbrella with which he had beaten me that afternoon look up at the sky even the tiniest stars are all worlds how insignificant is man in comparison with the universe and he said this in a tone that suggested that it was particularly agreeable and flattering to him that he was so insignificant how absolutely devoid of talent and imagination he was sad to say he was the only architect in the town and in the fifteen to twenty years that i could remember not one single decent house had been built in it when any one asked him to plan a house he usually drew first the reception hall and drawing-room just as in old days the boarding-house misses always started from the stove when they danced so his artistic ideas could only begin and develop from the hall and drawing-room to them he tacked on a dining-room a nursery a study linking the rooms together with doors and so they all inevitably turned into passages and every one of them had two or even three unnecessary doors his imagination must have been lacking in clearness extremely muddled curtailed as though feeling that something was lacking he invariably had recourse to all sorts of outbuildings planting one beside another and i can see now the narrow entries the poky little passages the crooked staircases leading to half landings where one could not stand upright and where instead of a floor there were three huge steps like the shelves of a bathhouse and the kitchen was invariably in the basement with a brick floor and vaulted ceilings the front of the house had a harsh stubborn expression the lines of it were stiff and timid the roof was low-pitched and as it were squashed down and the fat well-fed-looking chimneys were invariably crowned by wire caps with squeaking black cowls and for some reason all these houses built by my father exactly like one another vaguely reminded me of his top hat and the back of his head stiff and stubborn-looking in the course of years they have grown used in the town to the poverty of my father's imagination it has taken root and become our local style the same style my father had brought into my sister's life also beginning with christening her cleopatra just as he had named me missile when she was a little girl he scared her by references to the stars to the sages of ancient times to our ancestors and discoursed at length on the nature of life and duty and now when she was twenty-six he kept up the same habits allowing her to walk arm in arm with no one but himself and imagining for some reason that sooner or later a suitable young man would be sure to appear and to desire to enter into matrimony with her from respect for his personal qualities she adored my father feared him and believed in his exceptional intelligence it was quite dark and gradually the street grew empty the music had ceased in the house opposite the gate was thrown wide open and a team with three horses trotted frolicking along our street with a soft tinkle of little bells that was the engineer going for a drive with his daughter it was bedtime i had my own room in the house but i lived in a shed in the yard under the same roof as a brick barn which had been built some time or other probably to keep harness in great hooks were driven into the wall now it was not wanted and for the last thirty years my father had stowed away in it his newspapers which for some reason he had bound in half-yearly volumes and allowed nobody to touch living here i was less liable to be seen by my father and his visitors 
and i fancied that if i did not live in a real room and did not go into the house every day to dinner my father's words that i was a burden upon him did not sound so offensive my sister was waiting for me unseen by my father she had brought me some supper not a very large slice of cold veal and a piece of bread in our house such sayings as a penny saved is a penny gained and take care of the pence and the pounds will take care of themselves and so on were frequently repeated and my sister weighed down by these vulgar maxims did her utmost to cut down the expenses and so we fared badly putting the plate on the table she sat down on my bed and began to cry missile she said what a way to treat us she did not cover her face her tears dropped on her bosom and hands and there was a look of distress on her face she fell back on the pillow and abandoned herself to her tears sobbing and quivering all over you have left the service again she articulated oh how awful it is but do understand sister do understand i said and i was overcome with despair because she was crying as ill luck would have it the kerosene in my little lamp was exhausted it began to smoke and was on the point of going out and the old hooks on the walls looked down sullenly and their shadows flickered have mercy on us said my sister sitting up father is in terrible distress and i am ill i shall go out of my mind what will become of you she said sobbing and stretching out her arms to me i beg you i implore you for our dear mother's sake i beg you to go back to the office i can't cleopatra i said feeling that a little more and i should give way i cannot why not my sister went on why not well if you can't get on with a head look out for another post why shouldn't you get a situation on the railway for instance i have just been talking to anyuta blagovo she declares they would take you on the railway line and even promised to try and get a post for you for god's sake missile think a little think a little i implore you we talked a little longer and i gave way i said that the thought of a job on the railway that was being constructed had never occurred to me and that if she liked i was ready to try it she smiled joyfully through her tears and squeezed my hand and then went on crying because she could not stop while i went to the kitchen for some kerosene end of chapter one recording by expatria in bangor maine